Hey, what's up? And thanks for listening to the Give Me Understanding podcast. I'm the host, Aaron Dodson. Psalm 119, verse 34, best describes this podcast. The psalmist wrote in the long ago, Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it so that we might keep God's law and observe it with our whole heart. In this episode, I want to discuss the subject of being single, or particularly single Christians. And by single, I mean unmarried. There are two things that I want to say at the very beginning that I hope will stay with you uh, throughout the course of this episode, but particularly it will stay with you even after you have heard this weeks and months later. Two things. Number one, the view or the idea that celibacy, remaining unmarried, is required or more honorable than marriage has no scriptural authority, no scriptural backing. I want to repeat that. I want us, I want my listeners to get this. The idea that celibacy, remaining unmarried, is required by God, or that it's more honorable than marriage, has no scriptural backing. Quite frankly, neither the Old nor the New Testament teaches this idea. That's the first thing I want us to get. The second thing I want to say, in my judgment, it would be easy for a congregation to overlook those that are single within the congregation. Christian singles need support from other Christians that are single, from Christians that are married, and the congregation as a whole. And singles need to be valued as equally significant members of the body of Christ. Did you hear that? That's my two main things that I have for this podcast and this episode. Celibacy is not required, and it is not more honorable to be single. The Bible doesn't teach that. On the other hand, Christians who are single need support, like all members do, perhaps in a different way, but we all need support. And singles that are Christian, Christians that are single, maybe I should word it, they need to be valued as equally significant members of the body of Christ. Those in the church who are single, whether they are Children or younger people or even older people, no matter the age, if they are individuals who come into our assembly on a regular basis but have not obeyed the gospel yet because of age or because of whatever reason, they still need to be valued. Now, if they are already Christians, then we realize, hey, this is an individual that's a child of God now. They have, they have been born again, born, born from above. And they are equally significant members of the body of Christ. So those that have not yet obeyed the gospel, they're, they're significant because they are children, 
excuse me, they are individuals who need to come to God, who need to be covered in the blood of the Lamb, who need to obey the gospel, who need, who, who need to come to know God, etc. Okay, But those that are Christians, I'm talking particularly about Christians that are single, they're not married. They need to be valued as equally significant members of the body of Christ. Now, with that being said, I, I hope that I was not confusing on what I just said. hope I was clear. I want to start essentially in the very beginning with Genesis chapter 2, and I want to consider some things together, some thoughts, some concerns, some questions that might arise. Someone might say, but isn't it better to be married because God said in the beginning, Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man, and that's speaking of Adam, the male, should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And then in verse 21, it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he, God, made into a woman, and he, God, brought her, Eve, to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Pause there. Is it not true that in the beginning God said it's better to be married than to be single? I'm not sure that's what God's saying here. I'm not sure that's exactly what Moses is saying. But let's consider this in its context. This is the beginning of the heavens and the earth. This is the beginning of mankind as a whole. And in the very beginning, God first made Adam. And 1 Timothy 2 is very clear about that. For Adam was formed first and then Eve. So Adam was the first human being that God made. The second human being God made was the woman, Eve. When Adam was by himself, God said, It is not good that man should be alone, that the man. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I don't think that means that all men have to or need to get married. I will say this, I am certain that it doesn't mean that all males have to get married or all males of accountable age or whatever, adult men. It doesn't mean they have to, that's for sure, because Jesus discusses the subject of men remaining single. We'll look at that in a moment, Matthew 19. What does it mean then? Simply put, Adam without Eve was not enough to procreate. But even more than that, mankind in general, or excuse me, man in general, men, males in general, are individuals who are fulfilled. They reach their highest potential when they have a helper comparable to them. And God created such to be a woman, one man for one woman, one woman for one man. That's very clear throughout the scriptures, and I might mention that again in 1 Corinthians 7. Now, so when we read, you know, it is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper comparable to him. Does that mean that it's sinful for a Christian man or woman to remain single? No, it does not. It absolutely does not. But in the beginning, number one, it was necessary and needed. And I think the principle at large is true. Most men need to be married. And that doesn't mean they're stronger or weaker or better or worse. It just means that in general, most people need to be married, not merely for the procreation or the continuation of the human race, although that is essential. It's essential that men and women have uh, sexual relationships with one another in order to uh, continue the uh, human race. That is true. But more so than that, when we learn from the rest of the book of Genesis and Matthew and Jesus' teaching, Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 7, as we'll go there in just a moment, Marriage is much more, in Ephesians 5, than just procreation. It is to be a little taste of heaven on earth where the husband loves the wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The woman is to love and respect her husband and to follow his lead. Now, with that in mind, consider with me Hebrews 13 Verse 4, and this is a principle that's true from the beginning. When God put man and woman together, they were to procreate. They were commanded and authorized to have sexual relationships with one another. Genesis 1 uh, verse 28, to the man and woman, he said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth, etc. So God gave dominion to mankind over the earth, but they were to enjoy one another's company, and they were to procreate together. They were commanded to do so, and they were authorized by God. It, it was approved of God. In other words, when a husband and a wife, when a man and a woman are married, their husband and wife, they're not merely uh, expected to have children, but they also have God's approval to enjoy the marriage bed together. Notice Hebrews 13, 4, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible of 95. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let me read it again. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. Sadly, it's not. But it is to be held in honor because God started it. God instructed it. It's God's doings. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. Individuals that are not married do not have the authority or approval from God to have sex with one another. That's, we, we all know that's a common practice in our day and time. Many people think nothing of having sexual relationships, sexual intercourse with those to whom they're not married. But just because it's so common and accepted does not mean that it's okay. God says that marriage is the place for this. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. 
But, oh, it is defiled if individuals have already had sex before they got married. Or if husband and wife do wait till they get married, excuse me, man and woman, men and women wait till they're married to have sex. If they step outside the, the bounds of their marriage and they have sexual relations with someone besides their spouse, they have committed fornication and the marriage bed is defiled. It's no longer undefiled. Now, God says this in Hebrews 13, 4, fornicators and fornication is a physical sexual act that would include at least one sexual uh, organ, sexual reproductive organ. And I know that the, because of the way fornication is used in Jude, uh, verse 6 it is, and 7, where homosexuality, the act, the practice of homosexuality is styled by the Holy Spirit as fornication. <clears throat> and in homosexuality, when there are two men uh, practicing homosexual acts, you do not have a male and female uh, sexual organ. Sex, sex organs you, you you have you have the same sex organ you have two of the same and so fornication is broader than just sex between two people who are not married it would also include people th that pr are practicing homosexual acts fornication is a broad term that describes any illicit sexual activity, not lust. Lust is a different word than the Greek word translated fornication. Lust is a desire that starts in the heart and in the mind. Fornication is an act. Sexual immorality, it's described in some translations, which is a bit looser than the word fornication. Either word, either way it's translated, we need to glance and look for a few moments at the word, and it doesn't take long to see that sexual immorality, fornication, fornicators, the word porneia translated into English as fornicators or fornication or sexual immorality, is always a physical act. It's not lust. So here are individuals that have committed sexual illicit acts with those they have no right to do. They have no right to do so. They have so to do, I guess I should say. God says those individuals and adulterers, those who are unfaithful to their spouse, those who divorce their spouse and remarry someone else without God's approval, Matthew 19, 9, God will judge them. And that should be a scary thought. It should be a very sobering thought. So with that in mind, those who are single must remain as individuals who are sexually pure. And those who are married are to remain sexually pure. They only have God's approval, married people, to have sex, to enjoy the, the pleasures, the, the blessings of sexual intimacy with their God-ordained spouse, their marital partner, husband and wife, wife or husband. So, there's a lot of things involved in marriage, not just procreation, but also companionship, love, romance, sexual fulfillment, walking through life together. 
and an amazing example, and I'm not going to go to the passages, but I would encourage you to do a word search on the names Aquila and Priscilla. You read about these individuals in the New Testament books. They were helpers of Paul, husband and wife team. They were always together, every time they're mentioned at least, and they served God together. I'm thinking they got marriage right, and they did it because they served God together. What's that got to do with being a Christian who is single? Well, look with me at 1 Corinthians 7. Let's dive a little bit deeper into a few things. 1 Corinthians, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to do uh, some lengthy reading here, and I hope that if you're able to listen, if you have the ability to open up you know, your Bible or get the Bible on your digital device and locate 1 Corinthians 7, I'm going to begin by reading verses 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. Remember what I said at the very beginning? The view that celibacy is required is wrong. And the view that celibacy is more honorable has no scriptural backing. But on the other hand, Christians who are single need support from their married friends, from their congregations, and those congregations must value those Christians who are single and treat them as equally significant members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9. And listen to some of these things. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, so these are things that they, the church at Corinth, had written to the Apostle Paul. He writes, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, fornication, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, he's speaking of husbands and wives, do not deprive one another except with consent and agreement for a time, temporary time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Why? So that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say they, uh, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself. What is that? Well, Paul was single; he was not married. And how is he saying this? Not as a command to be celibate, as a concession, not a command. Verse seven: I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God. Each has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. So marriage is a gift from God. And sadly in our time, many look down on marriage. People are just shacking up and they say, don't get married or wait forever till you get married because you might not know if you really want to get married and all these kinds of things. They're not willing to make a commitment and learn and grow together and serve God together. Instead, they're looking at it selfishly. What can I get out of it? And watch this. Paul styles both marriage 
and being single as a gift from God. Watch. But each one, that would be in this context, those who are married and those that are like Paul. I myself, single. But each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner, that would be someone who's single, and another in that, someone who's married. Now watch this. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. Huh. It's good for them to remain single. Hmm. Okay. So does that mean being single is better than being married? No. Continue reading. But if they can't exercise self-control, let them marry. You see that? For it is better to marry than to burn, to burn with passion. Some have said, I think it means to burn in hell because they've committed fornication and lived a life of sexual immorality. It could be. Or it means it's better to marry than to burn with passion, desiring that sexual relationship, that intimacy, that romance, that companionship and love between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, and to not have it. To carry out sexual desires in a way that's wrong. Like not getting married and participating in illicit sexual intercourse with people that you to whom you are not married. Any individual. Any group of individuals. What we know, even in our time, as in that time, some people can't reproduce and some people don't desire to be married. And if you're listening to this and you're in either situation, you are not unholy before God. You are not sinful before God. You are not lesser before God than I am because I'm, I'm married. And probably most folks who are listening to this know that. And some of you know about how long I've been married because some of the folks that listen to this, you know me on a daily basis. Some can't reproduce and some don't desire to be married. We know that. Well, now let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's skip over verses 10 through 16 where he discusses a Christian being married to a non-Christian. Let's look over at chapter 7. Oh, let's see here, verse 20, uh, 29. Look at this with me. Let's do verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry... You have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they didn't weep. Those who rejoice as though they didn't rejoice. Those who buy as though they didn't possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it from, excuse me, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care, without concern. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. 
See that? Now skip down to verse 39. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Now, I've read a lot there, and here's what I want to, here's the situation I want to bring up. By reading those passages, some have tried to belittle the significance of, the beauty and the importance of having a, for a woman having a husband, a man, for a, a man having a woman as wife, to like downplay marriage and what Jesus said about it and what, what God said about it through Moses and Genesis. We need to focus closely, very closely on the context here. Verse 26 is the key to helping us understand what he gets into in this particular section. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. Now, let's... I know there's a lot here, and you may have questions, and I don't. I may. I may be able to answer them. I may not. But, but because of the present distress in Corinth, Achaia, the region of Achaia, Paul's charge to them, according to the Holy Spirit at that time, is because of this present distress. So he's not speaking generally about all situations, because even in this present distress in Corinth, he says, look, I, I think you should remain single. It'd be easier for you. But even if you marry, verse 28, you haven't sinned. So that says this, it's never sinful to enter into a God-joined marriage. Okay, marriage that God approves. It, no matter the persecution... But there's much to be said about Christians living in a circumstance where at that given time, it might be better for them to remain single. And he most certainly says, if you're single, no, don't you, excuse me, if he says you're married, don't you seek, don't you seek to be loosed. During this time, you need to be individuals who live keeping in mind that the time is short, verse 29, that the form of the present age is passing away. There's a present distress, verse 26. You need to be individuals who, even if you have a wife, you should conduct yourself in a way like you don't have a wife. Of course, that doesn't mean for a husband to mistreat his wife. That would contradict many other passages. Circumstance does not authorize a husband to mistreat his wife or vice versa. But you need to be individuals who are not bogged down with the cares of the world. Notice how he draws the readers into that. He says, I want you to be without concern, verse 32. That's why he would say that it's important for the Christians in Corinth at that time, because of a present distress, to not enter into a marriage at that time to remain single 
Because when you're being persecuted, life is super hard. And when you are being persecuted to the point that it's better not to get married, that means you're being persecuted in a way that you probably never have before. And probably we never have before either in our time. He who is married cares about the things of the world, verse 33, how he may please his wife. Verse 34 says the same thing about an unmarried woman. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Why? Because marriage distracts you in all circumstances, and and marriage is just not that good, and it's better to be celibate. No, 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 no. Verse 26. Because of the present distress in Corinth. And folks, anybody who teaches that context any other way is wrong. Not because I'm right and they're wrong, but because the context is right. And every other explanation is wrong because the context is very clear. It's very, very clear. Paul is not stating things about marriage to degrade marriage. He's talking about a time of great distress. And how they need to be individuals with as little care and concern of the things of the world as possible. So important. Let's go back for just a moment here. We've looked at the key of 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26, especially that second half of 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 9, emphasizes that Sex is something to be enjoyed between one man and one woman. And because any sexual intercourse outside of marriage is fornication, sexual immorality, each man is to have his own wife. Notice, one man, one woman. I've heard people carelessly say the Bible does not condemn polygamy. There it is. Yes, it does. This is the command from God. So that you don't commit sexual immorality, each man is to have his own wife singular, not two women, and let each woman have her own husband. Each woman singular have her own husband singular. That's monogamy. That's monogamy in marriage. And the husband is to render to his wife the affection due her. And the wife is to do the same for her husband. And furthermore, he says, look, I'm not saying this as a commandment, verse 6, but I think, I wish that all people were as myself. But each one has his own gift from God. Each one who? Each one in the context. A married person, a Christian person that's married, and a Christian person that's single. Both are gifts from God. Marriage is not to be trampled upon and belittled and looked down upon, and neither is the choice to be single. Some do not have the ability to reproduce, and some may have that ability but they do not desire 
to be married. There are some who desire to be married, but they have not found someone to whom they desire to be married. And that's good. That's wise that they have refrained from just getting married because they want to fulfill the sexual desires that they have within them. So here's the situation. If a Christian is single and they want to remain single, they need to practice self-control. If they cannot practice self-control, they need to find a spouse that they can make a commitment to, that they love, that they can cherish. They can learn to love one another and grow together, and they can enjoy all the things that come with marriage, companionship, love, romance, sexual fulfillment, commitment, etc. But there's some that can't reproduce. And there's some who don't desire to be married. Are those individuals less significant members of the body of Christ? No. No. I have thought about this myself. I have been tempted to think, boy, it'd be great if we had a new family that would come in and a husband and wife and four or five children and starting to think in ways of the world. Just think, that'd be six new people here in our congregation. Okay, that would be good. But what about that single person that I see out in the community? What about that single individual in the community with whom you work? Did Jesus not die for them too? Are they less significant? Let's say that single individual obeys the gospel and becomes a member of the congregation where you are. Are they less significant as a member of the body of Christ than that couple who obeys the gospel that has six children? No, they are not less significant. You say, well, the family of six can do this and do that, and the person that's single can't do some of the same things. I'm not talking about that. Each person and each family has their own abilities and things that they can do or things that they might not be able to do. But look at Matthew 19 with me very quickly. That person who loves the Lord and serves the Lord, that Christian who is single, is just as significant to God as that Christian couple that's married. Matthew 19, 1 through 12 And I'm not going to comment on, I'm going to try to keep my comments limited because I want to focus in on verse 12. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee. He came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him. And he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him testing him. And saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? He answered and said, Have you not read? that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Verse 7, They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Jesus said to him, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, fornication, and marries another commits adultery. 
And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now watch this. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. They recognized that the things that Jesus taught were not simple to obey. They were not permissive. They were restrictive. But he said to them, All can't accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, and he gives example of those that, that cannot, quote-unquote, accept this saying. He speaks of people who are single, eunuchs. There are eunuchs, and the word eunuchs, the idea is an emasculated man, okay? In ancient times, there were men who were castrated or emasculated in order to act as trusted servants of royalty or of wealthy people. And it was believed that those type of men, men who were castrated or emasculated, could protect females under their care but pose no you know, sexual threat to them to you know, interfere or spoil a, a lineage or whatnot, etc. Okay? Now, whether or not that always went as planned, that's another consideration. But that's in history. Many nations did those kinds of things to, to, to weaker nations that they overtook. There are eunuchs who were born this way, born thus from their mother's womb. So that's individuals who do not have the ability to reproduce. And then the one I mentioned there, the comments I made, there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. That's the ones that in ancient times were castrated or emasculated to act as trusted servants or to, or to uh, humiliate them in a way so that they might use them. I think of uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael in the book of Daniel. But watch this. Jesus says there are, there's a third type of eunuchs. There are eunuchs, there are people that are single, who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. This doesn't mean that they have castrated themselves or emasculated themselves. These are individuals who have chosen to not participate in marriage. And they've done it for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Now, it's very apparent that, that, that Paul had done that. He was single. Had Paul been previously married? We don't know. Let's say that he had been married. In his situation, he had chosen to remain unmarried. It's possible he had been married. It's possible his wife had left him because of the gospel. It's possible. We do not know. I'm not aware of a statement that emphatically, clearly says that he was never married. But what we do know is when he was writing the letters to the churches and the individuals, he was not married at that time. And so because of the teaching of Jesus that he just, that he just gave in this context, Matthew 19, there are individuals who, who 
make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. Maybe they have been unscripturally put away and they have no right to remarry, so they remain single. Paul may well describe that condition in 1 Corinthians when he writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11. If I can get there quick enough. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. So there you have it. There are individuals, too, who have never been married because they either do not have the ability to reproduce or they do not desire to be married for whatever reason. To that individual, two things as I close this. Number one, you are to practice sexual fidelity. That is, you are to practice, the word is not sexual fidelity. I used the wrong word there. The word would be, you are to, to practice sexual abstinence. Because only in marriage is the marriage bed and the privileges of sexual intimacy approved by God. God does not approve of people having sexual intercourse, sexual relationships with other individuals to whom they are not married. That has always been included in the way that the word fornication is used throughout the Bible. Let me end on this note. I think some of my friends or some of my brethren know that. If you have chosen or do choose to remain single, do those things that are needed to limit those temptations as to the lowest level as possible so that you can commit yourself entirely to the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of heaven's sake. And listen to this, dear brother or sister, if you're single and you need and or want to remain single, you are valuable to King Jesus. You have a place in the kingdom of God. You can remain single and go to heaven. You can. You don't have to be married to go to heaven. But we all do, whether we're married or undermarried. We do have to love Jesus with all of our hearts. And we do have to render Him faithful service in order to be pleasing in the sight of God. We must walk in the light as he is in the light, 1 John 1, verse 7, to enjoy that continual forgiveness and fellowship. What a beautiful thought. Well, I've not exhausted this subject. There may be something you're thinking of that I didn't cover, but I hope that I was clear enough in what I said, but also encouraging in what I said. Because Christian, there are Christians who are single. It is my judgment that most Christians need and probably want to get married. So let's don't belittle marriage. There's no belittling marriage. But there are times when there are individuals who are Christians who are single. Some are single because they've never gotten married, and then sometimes they're single 
because their spouse put them away and they either want or need to remain single. This is very important. If there's anything you have, if you've got questions or input, you can find me on social media. You can send me a message. I'll do what I can to try to answer Christians who are single. Something very important. God loves each of us. We each have a place in His kingdom. We don't need to belittle marriage. We don't need to belittle being a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. We need to recognize the value of both, that both are a gift from God. All right. Thanks for listening. Hope that you've enjoyed this. God bless, and I'll catch you next time.